Hey everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. We are continuing in our series, Common Challenges for Christians, and today we're talking about anxiety. Doug, would you kick us off? Definitely. We're talking about anxiety today, and anxiety and fear have a lot of overlap. Last week, we talked about fear and the reality that in our lives, there are circumstances that we aren't in control of, or circumstances that are often bigger than us. But what we want to do is look to God, who is even bigger, to have a fear of God that sees him rightly, that drowns out our fear of smaller things. Similarly with anxiety, we want to trust that God really is in control, that he cares for us as his children, that he loves us, and that he is the one who will provide. A lot of our anxiety is related to the desire to control our lives, but we kind of know we don't have control. So I'm anxious because I want to motivate myself to get things done in time, or I'm anxious about how people will respond to me, or I'm anxious about what will happen with my money, or I'm anxious last week as Reagan and I went in to do an ultrasound. As Reagan was eight weeks pregnant, we hadn't been in there, and there's this uncertainty, are we going to hear the heartbeat? There's a fear there. There's an anxiety there. Like, what is going to happen? And in that moment, I have no control. And so there's this terrifying spot of this anxiety. What is going to happen? There's an uncertainty for the future. And thankfully, we hear the heartbeat. Our little baby, we don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet. The heartbeat was at about 170 beats per minute, which was right. And so there's this relief of this anxiety that I had because there's this situation that I wasn't in control of, but I had a lot of hope in. And anxiety is also related to the goals or hopes that we have. So as we talk about anxiety this week, we're going to follow it up with anger next time and then with depression after that. Because all of these anxiety, anger, and depression are related to goals that we have. Anxiety is often related to an uncertain goal. Anger is often related to a blocked goal. And depression's related to an impossible goal. And we'll talk about some of that with these other ones in the future. But as we get into anxiety now, it's related to this uncertainty. Things that we could be afraid of may happen. So Mark, what was the illustration that you had about anxiety? Yeah, Max Lucado in his book, Anxious for Nothing, gives the illustration of anxiety as sort of the storm on the horizon. And it's not not always necessarily that there is a storm in the moment, but you're afraid of there being a storm. And so is it going to storm? Is it going to storm? Is it going to storm? And there's just feeling of gloom on the horizon, this fear of what may be. And I think that can be a helpful way of describing what anxiety can often feel like. There's this fear of the storm being on the horizon. It's not always related to something you're immediately going through, but something that could be on the horizon. And as we jump into anxiety, it is helpful to know that there are a complexity of reasons for why we are anxious or why we might be anxious. And so an illustration I give with this is if someone was to come up to me and say, hey, I'm anxious, 
I wouldn't want immediately to give them advice. I would first want to know what their situation mm-hmm. is because there could be a number of reasons why they're anxious. They might say, hey, I'm anxious right now. I say, why? Well, because I lost my car keys. And then it's like, oh, okay. That That's that's understandable. I, I might be a little bit anxious if I lost my car keys too. Like maybe I pray for you, but then let's go, let's go find your car keys. Like I help you search for your car keys. Maybe someone says, I'm anxious. And I say, well, why are you anxious? And they say, well, my parents are talking about getting a divorce. Or my wife is talking about leaving me. It's like, oh, that that's a different reason for being anxious. There's something that anxiety is revealing, like a, a very real underlying issue. It could be, I'm anxious. How, how come you're anxious? Um, because I'm struggling with sin and addiction, and I feel like I'm never going to get out of this. Or it could be, I'm anxious. Why are you anxious? I have no idea. Uh, I just feel anxious. Oh, well, we should probably look into that and try and figure out what's going on. It could be, I'm feeling anxious. Well, why are you anxious? Well, I went to the doctor and I found out that my adrenal gland is just firing like crazy. And so it's causing me anxiety. So all that to say, there's a complexity of reasons of why we might be anxious. Some of them are related to personal sin struggles and some of them might not be. So for example, there might be biological, physical realities that cause anxiety. And so I think it's just helpful to go in with that nuance of the complexity of reasons that can cause anxiety. Um, Because we do want to address anxiety, but we also want to do so in a way that says we know that there's a lot of ways that anxiety can actually be brought about. There can be a number of underlying issues. And it's just helpful to have that perspective as we go in. So when we talk about anxiety, maybe it'd be helpful even just for us to start and say, what are some of the things that we struggle with anxiety in our own lives about? Something I've realized in my own life is that anxiety has the tendency to shift around. And there's definitely a lot of things that I can be anxious about, whether that's work and job and ministry or finances. There's for sure recurring themes, but over the years, it just kind of it can circulate what it's about. And I think that's even been a good thing to realize is that sometimes I think that my anxiety is just tied to circumstances. And this was a bit similar with fear that we had talked about, but even when often those circumstances go better, there's improvement. I still will feel anxious about the same thing or my anxiety will just shift to other things. And so I think that something I'm looking forward to talking about a little bit more is just what's the root of anxiety, what's causing it, and what's actually the antidote. Is it circumstantial or is it something else? But yeah, it definitely circulates. And I think as we approach this topic, it's one that I have felt a lot of conviction on because it's not something I have overcome yet. For me, I can look back now and see that I've had anxiety in high school because I would have my mouth dry up before having to give a speech in English class or I would throw up before football games because I was nervous about how I would do. And in college it played out. But honestly, I didn't think that I struggled with anxiety at all until my second year in ministry. And at that point it became very evident because I was getting sick every couple of weeks and throwing up. And it was a season that I was seeing a lot of sin in my life. And it was it was a really, really hard year. But it became clear, oh, there is this fear that I'm going to be rejected if I don't do well. And this fear that I'm going to fail. So it is interesting. I've mentioned this before, but I'm often indirectly aware of my emotions. 
and anxiety is an example of that to such an extent that I didn't even think I was anxious. Although in high school, it was causing me to throw up before football or when we would do Bible quizzing, my hands would literally be sweating so much that my teammates wouldn't hold my hands when we'd pray. They'd like grab onto my wrist and (laughs) stuff like that. So (laughs) like, it's always kind of been glimpses of that, that show up in situations, but then it wasn't until that second year that I was just constantly feeling anxious and it felt like there was no peace in my life. And that took a while to move out of. In some ways, I went from anxiety to then feeling more anger to feeling depressed. And I stayed in that depressed mode for a longer period of time. Doug, as I think about Bible quizzing, I mean, that's when we were kids. There was something where with our church we would, and with other churches, we would be quizzed on scripture and there's a whole competition that went with it but sit on these seats with buzzers that would go off and a light yeah. would show up like who stood up first and i i do think it's not to laugh at your suffering but i do think it's hilarious how nervous you would get about bible quizzing and i got nervous before too but i think that did, did you throw competitive up? drive oh yeah did you throw up at one point before bible quizzing I think so. I was probably like in the church bathroom, like throwing up, getting ready to go, like quote John, some of John 15. (laughs) Get quizzed on Matthew 6. Don't be anxious about anything. You know, anyways. Um, uh, I just, I don't know. There's just something ironic about that in a deep way that I could obviously sympathize with because, yeah, I've struggled with anxiety in my own life. I would say it's one of the, bigger struggles I have. I've probably view myself as a pretty type A person, uh, pretty motivated, have a lot of goals. I often don't feel like I'm at peace until I get all the things I think I should get done, done. And so I have often a big to-do list or sometimes I call it a to-should-have list because I don't necessarily (laughs) do it all uh, in time or as my expectations. And that for me can be just anxiety provoking. I am the type of person who in college I would be up till up up on a Friday night working on a paper that wasn't due till a week or two later just because I wanted to get it ahead and be done with it. And um, as a kid growing up, I would do my schoolwork the night before because uh, I was homeschooled and was able to, you know, get ahead on it. So I definitely sympathize with the anxiety of just wanting to be prepared, not wanting to fail, being afraid of not having enough time, being afraid of not having enough energy resources. I can notice that I get anxious about the things that I'm managing, being afraid of failing or not looking competent. I can be anxious about anything from money, even when I'm doing totally fine, to um, how I perform and how I do. And so I think just those desires to perform, to be accepted to achieve for me it will drive a lot of my anxiety and one of the things that I've talked with my wife Hannah about is I've realized that for me often I feel like shalom like peace lives at the end of a to-do list like if I just get these things done then I'll be at peace and I found that at times I almost just live my life on this like treadmill of anxiety trying to get everything taken care of without coming to an end of it Um, and so to say Anxiety definitely is a struggle I've noticed, been engaged with, and one I'm working on. And uh, I have a, I have, I have progress to make, uh, but I'm grateful for some ways in which the Lord has also worked over the years in that. 
So then as we think about anxiety, what are ways that we can try and deal with our anxiety or push aside our anxiety that aren't going to be necessarily helpful in the long run? Something I've realized in my life, and I think just in culture in general, is anxiety is such a normal thing that it's kind of easy just to normalize it and have it be part of our lives or almost something that I am okay just living with and letting be there constantly. Um, and I think it's it's kind of interesting, like as I've been thinking about this a little bit for this podcast, just that that's just not a great way to deal with it. And I think that in some ways, when we think about anxiety, it's kind of like a warning sign that something is going on underneath the surface that probably needs to be dealt with that pertains to our view of God or understanding the sovereignty, the goodness, the faithfulness of God, uh, the way that we see our life and circumstances. And so that's, that's the way I'm trying to start approaching it is how do I really identify what's going on again beneath the surface and the analogy that I've used for other things, but I think works for this too, is if there's a, um, light on your car saying check engine you can just break the light or just let it stay on and not deal with the actual root problem or you can say okay something's actually going on beneath the surface there's an engine problem i need to figure out what that is and so in the same way that's i think helpful greg along those lines of the check engine light one of my friends back when he was in high school had the check engine light come on in his car but he didn't know what to do with it. So he took a post-it note and put it over the check engine light so he wouldn't have to see it. And he told me, if you ever want to use that as an illustration, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah. It's like, so to just kind of ignore it or say, hey, this is normal or like everybody deals with that. So I'm just going to let it go. It's like, well, the check engine light is coming on and there's something that is coming out whether that's yeah there's something coming out when i'm feeling anxious and so to just kind of ignore it really doesn't work and that idea of normalizing it it just does seem like so common to acknowledge that we've got anxiety that we can almost treat it as if it doesn't matter along those lines i've been thinking of Anxiety is something that we can just be ambivalent about. Ambivalent has been my favorite word for a little while because it's something that we want to see change, but we don't want to see change. We kind of hate being anxious, but we also kind of depend on it. So even my anxiety is it's something that I really want to change. St. Augustine has this great quote. For him, it was sexual purity that he was wrestling with, but he says, God make me pure but not yet. He's like, Lord, I want you to change my life, but I also want to keep doing what I'm doing. And sometimes with anxiety, we can have that kind of sense of, Lord, please take this away, but I'm also going to continue to depend on my anxiety. And for me, sometimes I try and work myself up into this anxious feeling so that I can make more progress in the things that I'm doing. So last night I was actually up till about 2 a.m. working on Hebrew, which I've been anxious about. And partly I need to work ahead, but also I can try and use anxiety as if it's a tool to help me be a faithful person. And I've often wondered, if I didn't have anxiety, would I actually be able to be faithful to do the things that God wants me to do? And I wonder that slightly jokingly, but also underneath it all, there's a sense of, I know that my anxiety isn't helpful, but I'm kind of depending on it. 
Hmm. And I've just realized over time that talking to different people, there's something that they're using their anxiety to try and produce or to control in their life, whether that's like for me trying to be able to produce this faithfulness to work hard or for other people, it's I'm trying to control how other people see me or I'm trying to control that I don't forget any of the promises that I've made, whatever it is. In some ways, we can have this ambivalent relationship with anxiety because we don't like it, but we also think we kind of need it for something. And I think that's helpful too, Doug. One of the things I've, I, I mean, I've, I've seen all that in my own life of the anxiety being a driver, like, okay, I want to achieve in my classes. It's like, well, could I actually get a good grade without being anxious? Could I actually be a good student if I wasn't anxious and consumed with anxiety? Oh, like, what am I sacrificing for my success? And I think that's a lot of what it comes down to is what what are we giving up? um, Or what are we asking our anxiety to do for us? And it's an odd way of thinking about it. But even as I've talked with you, I've realized that that is actually something that is been happening in my life is like I'm afraid of letting go of my anxiety because if I let go of my anxiety will I still do the things that I feel like I need to do to achieve the things I need to achieve yeah and it's scary it's it's odd but it's sometimes scary the idea of letting go of anxiety because it's our motivator it's like what would I what would I run on and it is an interesting thing because we think like why in the world am I so anxious like I shouldn't be but then to realize oh it's it's a bad habit that's formed over time as a way of trying to respond to the uncertainty in the world or to respond to the things that we need to accomplish or moving towards our goals, goals that we know we're not totally in control of. So then we're going to be anxious and focus all of our attention and energy. So it's helpful to realize I'm not just anxious because I've got no sense or because I'm irrational but there's something that the anxiety has tried to produce or something that I've tried to use anxiety to produce in my life some way that I'm depending on it that may be subtle that I don't understand at times it's not like I understood why I was throwing up before bible quizzing but I had been putting so much of my identity into how will people see me when I quote these verses And trying to like work myself up into doing that better and better. And eventually that anxiety, instead of serving me, becomes clear. Hey, this thing is mastering me. And it's having physical effects and causing me to throw up. And so even now, like, I don't think I've thrown up because of my anxiety for at least a few years. But I'll kind of know that I'm feeling anxious because I get a little bit of a pain in my stomach on my right side before I do initiative evangelism or before I'm speaking in front of people and stuff like that. So one way of dealing with anxiety, like we said, is ambivalence, which is being kind of okay with our anxiety because it actually is serving a purpose. What would you guys say are other ways that we could try and deal with anxiety? Well, I think that even with this question, one thing I've noticed about anxiety is that often it doesn't really go anywhere or lead us to anything. It's just something that we more sit on. And one question that I heard that was good, I think our dad asked it, but I was talking about anxiety in terms of work. And specifically, we I have to fundraise in order to be full-time staff with the navigators. And I was feeling anxious about that. And 
he asked, what's your anxiety doing? Is it leading you to actually take steps and work proactively and be faithful in work? Or is it just you're already doing that? You're already working hard, but it's just kind of idling and making life more difficult. And I thought that was a good question um, because there's a sense in which sometimes I'm thinking about things and it's not bad and it's swirling around my head because I need to give myself to it and be faithful with it. But often with an anxiety, it's not actually kind of leading me to anything. It's again, just sort of idling and um, not causing direct action. Another bad way of trying to deal with anxiety is to just rely upon something external to change it. Now, sometimes there are external changes that are necessary where somebody may have to move or get into a more healthy spot or where something like meds as an external thing coming in could really be helpful. Or maybe it is that getting to a spot of more financial security, those things are all good to be pursuing in the right context. But if we just have our hope on the external world changing without realizing, oh, there's something in me that needs to happen, which gets back a little bit to what Greg was saying about the dash light coming on. When I see that dash light coming on, am I just going to say, oh, something out there needs to change or something in me? And often it's a mixture of both. But do we see the world as this place that just needs to adapt to us? Or can we trust the Lord that he will help us to engage with the world outside of us? Because Jesus promises that in the world we'll have troubles, but that we're to take heart because he's overcome the world. So our ultimate hope isn't that the world transforms to us, but that Jesus would be with us, that he'd give us community and help us engage with the world. I was reading something the other day, and it was basically just saying that kids that grow up playing chess tend to be a little bit less anxious. I thought that's kind of interesting. And I honestly didn't read most of the article, but I began to like think about that. <laughs> so here's my thoughts on the article that I haven't read, but just beginning to wonder like, why would that possibly be true? And the idea that in chess, you do have to sacrifice some pieces and you have to move some things forward, be willing to even take losses to be able to win. So somebody that wants to have friends has to like show up to a social situation where they might be rejected and may actually like lose a pawn or a rook or something like that. And there's a pain that's there, but like is life like chess where we do have to take some risks. I would used to play chess against the computer and I'd always lose because I tried to do a defensive strategy that I thought looked cool but it didn't work well at all and the computer would always beat me. And if I would try and play real people, they would dominate me because my strategy was all about a defense that looked cool versus being able to move forward in the board and optimize placement, which I still don't understand in chess. But thinking like, <laughs> is, the, is life a little bit like chess where there's moving forward and there's losses that are moving towards an ultimate victory or is life a little bit like Candyland, where you're just kind of like walking forward and all of a sudden you hit a ladder and you make it all the way to the top? Or you just kind of take a step forward and you hit a snake. Is that Candyland or am I mixing up games? No, Shoots and ladders. I think they're all the same thing. Yeah, a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I was actually thinking about Shoots and Ladders, not Candyland. 
I even wrote it down as Candyland in my notes. But shoots and ladders where you're kind of like taking a step forward and all of a sudden you get on this ladder and it brings you all the way up to the top. Woohoo! Or you could be moving forward, moving forward, and you hit a snake and you go all the way back down to the bottom. And sometimes if we feel like life is like Candyland, then it's all just haphazard. Not Candyland. <laughs> you, you don't have to cut any of these out because it's too ingrained in everything now. But if, but if life is like shoots and ladders, then there's like just this constant fear of I'm going to just get taken out and go to the bottom. Or is it like chess where there are losses along the way, but also a progress forward? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that can really be easy is maybe you have fear about social situations, like you're saying, and one of the ways you can deal with that is to say, okay, I'm going to avoid situations where I deal with people in those ways. But like you're saying, one of the healthy things actually in dealing with anxiety around people is sometimes being with people. Sometimes it's having an awkward conversation and realizing, yeah, that was awkward, but like my life will move on, like things are okay. Or I don't always know how to interact with people. I don't know the best questions to ask. Like, if you're around people, you're going to do awkward things or you're going to have awkward experiences. But I think even, like you're saying, being okay with that and ultimately coming back to, you know, where where does our, our value, our identity, our peace come from? If it is in having the perfect execution of our life in this world without fault, without failure, then... That's not going to be helpful. But if we do live in a world where we say there is grace, there is kindness, there is ability to grow, to be transformed, I think that gives a lot of freedom in that landscape. Like you're talking about, Doug, where we're going to take losses and we're going to make mistakes and we're not going to do things perfectly. But grace really does give us such a groundwork in Christ to actually take the most basic steps of life to the most difficult things that we can do. I think one of the issues that we have even culturally is because we are trying so hard to find our meaning, to find our purpose, to find what we were made for, this idea of discovering who you are and what you're made for, I think that actually that causes a lot of anxiety. Um, Looking at the scriptures where God has made us in his image and he gives us a purpose, a design, a reason. He gives us a kingdom and a family to be a part of. I think when we don't see ourselves in those ways, that's going to provoke anxiety as we try and understand just who we are and what our purpose is in the world. And we struggle to find it. Mark, I think what you're saying there is helpful because a lot of our anxiety can come from these big questions in life. Who am I? What am I for? And who do I belong to? Is there anyone that I can really be with? What really is my purpose? What does it actually mean to be human? Why am I here? And I like Nietzsche's article about the madman because it's clarifying a lot of what would be true if there was no God. And in the madman, he's basically saying, if we don't believe in God, then we have to aspire to Godhood ourselves. We have to come up with morality on our own. We have to come up with our own purpose and meaning in life. And that's not what any of us believe as Christians. If you would ask, hey, is that what you think is true? We'd say, no, 
But so often we can get into this mode of actually kind of living that way, where I turn to Jesus for forgiveness and one day I'll be with him forever. But now, how do I live my life? It's I need to find a job that satisfies me. I need to find a spouse who completes me. I need to do all these things to make myself what I want to be. So even though we acknowledge that God is really there, that we have purpose from him, we can often live actually a little bit like we're taking Nietzsche's madman's challenge to define ourselves and what gives ourselves purpose. So for us then, what are the things that we need to know to believe, to live differently with anxiety? It's that we're actually made to seek first the kingdom of God. We're made with a purpose to reflect God's image, not to be God ourselves, but to reflect who he is in the world, to love like he's loved us, to care like he has cared for us, to be in relationship with him and with others. And at the basic level, for me and my anxiety, I need to remember who God is, my relationship to him, and what he's actually made me for, so that I can evaluate the things that are actually causing me anxiety. Is that actually what I'm supposed to be about in my life? Doug, along with what you're saying about how God has given us a purpose, an identity, significance, meaning, a way to live in the world, I think a great illustration that just goes along with that is, Greg, if you were to think about your kids, or Doug, with your daughter as well, but Greg, imagine Jackson, Owen, and Wesley, if you were to kind of just give them free reign in the home to determine their own schedule, to determine their own meals, (laughs) to determine... Like, what they think is best for themselves. Like, how well would that work? Uh, They'd probably be okay for 10 minutes or so. (laughs) Yeah. And then it would be, you know, it would be awful. Like, you as their father, like, really do know, like, hey, you're going to be so much better if you have a regular bedtime. I'm not seeing it. You guys have, you know, good bedtime, meals. Like, you're, you're very intentional as parents about what you're doing for them. And it's because you love them and care for them. And to think... If we're not going to have, you know, a three or four year old or a two year old or, you know, a one year old determine like what is their best plot and course in life, like the difference between us and a four year old is nowhere near the difference between us and God. The difference between us and God is much, much greater as the one who is the creator, who has brought all things into being. And yet, I think, Doug, like you're saying, the absurdity of the madman is that we turn from the creator God and we say, I'm going to create my own meaning, purpose in life. And if we know if it doesn't work with a a two or a three-year-old, like, how would it then work for humanity? And I think what we see in our culture with the outburst of anxiety and dread and all these things is just bearing witness to the absurdity of finding meaning and purpose apart from a God who has revealed it to us and given it to us. And so it would make sense that we would have anxiety creeping up in such intense ways in the culture that we have now. Yeah, Carl Ellis says that we're living in an age of great ontological dysphoria. And ontology is the definition of what something is, and that dysphoria with the confusion And the idea of what does it mean to be human? Who can tell us what it means? Is there actually a set reality to my humanity? Can I trust 
the church? Can I trust the Bible? Can I trust my friends? Can I trust my parents? Can I trust my own body? Or should I just trust my own inner sense of who I am? But if we're all honest, we know that our inner sense of who I am has been all over the place. And there's so many things inside of me that I actually don't want to be the full truth of who I am. So there becomes this great confusion of what even am I? And that's where we have great hope that God has spoken and he's told us who we are and what we're for. But we live in a time of so much confusion in that. And we often participate in that confusion and feel it ourselves. Yeah. And so going forward for this episode, we're going to split it into a couple parts because as we're talking, we're realizing there's a lot that we're doing to talk about the problem of anxiety and the reality of anxiety in our culture. And we really want to give it a good time for this head, heart, hands framework. But Greg, would you just introduce us to a beginning, give, give some glimmers of hope for where we're going to be going as we go into Matthew 6 and uh, how we're going to really be approaching this question of anxiety, which belongs to so many questions of identity, kingdom, where we belong and all those things as well. Yeah, uh, Matthew 6 is kind of just one of those anchor passages that I go to over and over. And every time that I read it, it just convicts me. It talks about uh, not storing, it starts out by talking about not storing up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. For where treasure is, there a heart will be also. And so it talks about storing treasure on earth versus heaven. And then it goes into saying, don't be anxious about this life, what you're going to eat or drink, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about clothes. See how God feeds the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. But instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's just this powerful passage saying that as Christians, we're called not to be anxious, which is pretty incredible when you think about that. The Bible says, don't be anxious. And that's a command that we can really let it bear its weight on us and submit to the authority of scripture. And yet I think what we see in that passage is that it's not simply just saying, don't be anxious because God doesn't want you to be anxious, but it's actually saying, don't be anxious because God has something greater for you. And his greatest purpose for your life is that you'd seek first his kingdom each day and that everything you'd be doing would be for God's glory. It'd be um, so that you're loving God and loving others and living out God's will in your life. And so that's to be our primary focus. And God's promised us that we'll have everything that we need day by day to do everything that he calls us to. And so we don't have to be anxious about so many of the things that we are anxious about because God's given us this promise that he'll give us what we need to fulfill everything he calls us to. That doesn't always mean life will be easier. Everything's going to go well, but we have what we need day by day. And tomorrow I'll have what I need to seek first the kingdom of God. And that's, that's just been really powerful for me. I know that one time I was just really anxious about finances and wondering about what's, what's the future going to be like. We're having kids. Are we going to be able to make it? And I remember just thinking, you know what? God's given us what we need financially for today. Tomorrow he's going to give us what we need. And I can really seek first him above all else. And so we'll continue unpacking that idea. But it's just a really powerful truth that we can focus every day on pursuing, knowing, loving God, living for his glory in all we do. And we'll have exactly what we need day by day. That's a good reminder. We'll, we'll, we'll look forward to jumping more into that passage 
as we get into this in the next part. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.